So like I said at the beginning of the service, uh, today we are uh, recognizing our ministries of education. Uh, that uh, when we are uh, talking about praying for our ministries and volunteering and pledging money and that kind of thing, uh, there's a significant portion of that that goes to support our school as well as other educational kinds of opportunities like Sunday school. And if you notice, there's one common theme there, children, and raising up the next generation of followers of Jesus. And so uh, that's why I chose the, uh, the, for our, I don't, I don't want to call it a theme verse, but for our gospel reading, even though it's functioning like a theme verse, the Great Commission, going and making disciples. Um, by some strange coincidence, that is also apparently the theme verse for Lutheran Schools Week. I was not aware of that. And when I discovered that, I thought, probably something I should have known. But oh well. So I'm going to first start with a question that when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, what does he mean? Well, I can tell you at the very least how that word disciple would have been understood within a first century Jewish context. See, it was uh, generally practiced around the time of Jesus, like every, anytime you kind of make a statement like that, it means that scholars disagree at least a little bit. Uh, but growing up in like Galilee or Judea as a good Jewish boy or girl, or potentially across the Mediterranean, when you turn five, your parents would take you down to the local synagogue and you would begin what is called Beth Torah. Uh, house of the law, house of God's teaching, it can be translated a few different ways. And the rabbi there would begin by taking honey, and he'd place it on the lips of all the little children who are going to start learning God's word at, to remind them that the study of God's word is sweet as honey. They would then over the course of uh, a while, I'm not actually sure how long, I don't think we know, they would then memorize the entirety of the first five books of the Bible. That's called Torah. Um, obviously, not everyone is going to have the ability to do that. And so, after a period of time, those kids who were not maybe like the top of the, the or top tier, they would then, with the blessing of the rabbi, return to their parents, and they would go on and continue learning their family trade. They would uh, then take, or the rabbi would take, some of the, the, like the top students, and they would uh, then move on to what's called Beth Sefer, house of the writing, house of the book, something like that, at which point the rabbi would teach them, and they would ostensibly memorize the rest of what we call the Old Testament. Now, this is a pre-literate culture, an oral culture, so it's, um, it's actually a little bit easier to do. Your brain gets wired in a different way. Um, I mean, I certainly couldn't do that, but that's because I grew up literate, for the most part. That was a joke. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you know, whatever. Um, at the end of this period, a rabbi would kind of 
siphon off the top students and the rest with, the, with his blessing go, would go and continue learning their family trade. Those top, best of the best would then take part in what's called Beth Midrash. Beth Midrash is kind of like, eh, the word is tricky, it's like house of interpretation. School, like, this is now when you start to learn how to interpret and understand God's word according to that rabbi. There were different schools of thought. And at the end of that period, you would then siphon off the best of the best of the best of the best. I lost count. And the rest would go, of course, and return to their families. No shame in that. And then that cream of the crop would then apply to become a disciple of a rabbi. And the rabbi would grill them, effectively asking the question, can this kid do what I do? And if so, that disciple would invite him to follow him. Or, I'm sorry, that rabbi would invite that kid to become his disciple and follow him. Now, there are all kinds of implications there, basically none of which we have time to go into. But it does suggest something about Jesus' disciples. Because when Jesus encounters them, what are they doing? They're fishing. They're collecting taxes. They're just taking part in whatever trade happens to be what their family does. Which means they're not that cream of the crop. And yet Jesus chooses them for a reason. But so, up until that point, that's uh, the point of Jesus saying, go and make disciples. That's kind of what discipleship meant. And really, that actually continues for quite some time within the Jewish world. But Jesus doesn't say, go and find the smartest people you can and baptize them. Jesus doesn't seem to care about that. He just says, go and make disciples. He's tearing things down, these barriers of entry. In fact, he becomes that barrier for entry. That's part of the Christian story. We'll mention that in a second. But at the very least, these children, as they grow up, are steeped in the stories of their people the stories of God. They are grounded in what it means to be part of God's chosen people. Which gets me thinking, at least especially this week, when we support our school, when we have teachers, when we maybe as a much larger church body denomination train teachers to teach children, when we ourselves are volunteering for Sunday school and for children's messages and pouring support and resources into our school, what are we doing or what does it mean to say that we are making disciples out of these kids. Because obviously we're not just teaching them Bible stories. They're learning math and learning how to read and learning history and social studies and, and chemistry and, and all kinds of other things. What does it mean 
for these children to be raised as disciples. Especially today. Uh, today, like, the modern, present-day world is kind of weird. Although, if you think about it, I would be willing to bet that we've been saying that for generations. Some things just never change. And there are always going to be, like, hot-button issues and, 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 and shifts that are pretty dramatic within culture that that we as followers of Jesus have to prepare our younger generations to deal with. The, the big culture war kinds of things, cultural issues, and, and sometimes those big cultural issues that seem really, really scary just fizzle out into nothing. I, 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 I'm not going to make any predictions because, about this because... I could be wrong, and I, I hate being wrong, so we're not, I'm not going to do that. There are a couple of things, I think, that, are, that feel really big right now that, that are probably just going to fizzle out and go away. There are other big questions that our current generation that is growing up are going to have to deal with that are pretty big. Again, I'm not going to make any predictions because, one, that'll be really polarizing, and two, again, I hate being wrong. So, what does it mean to take the children in our care and raise them to be disciples of Jesus, what kinds of questions are they going to have to answer? I'm going to suggest to you that there is one big question that they will have to answer, either like implicitly, like, you know, kind of hinted at, like that's what's going on be underneath the surface, or explicitly, like they're going to be asked this and they're going to have to figure it out. Now, fair warning, <clears throat> what is about to follow is going to be the nerdiest, geekiest sermon illustration you probably have ever heard. Just heads up. <laughs> um, a few months ago, an organization, uh, an uh, artificial intelligence research organization, OpenAI, released something called Chat. <laughs> I see somebody nodding. All right, uh, released something called uh, ChatGPT. It's a, it's a natural language processing and learning uh, system, all done on computers. Like this is the artificial intelligence that you know launches Skynet or something like that which is also a really nerdy reference. Don't worry about it if you didn't get it. Um, it is extraordinarily sophisticated. And it is astonishing what it is able to do. And it is already causing problems because teachers are starting to realize that students, if they're giving, say, like an essay question on Of Mice and Men, they can just say, give me an essay on mice and men that answers this question, and it'll spit out something that's pretty good, which is going to raise all kinds of questions about plagiarism and what it means to do your own work and how can teachers figure out if they're just cheating on that or actually writing their own. Something dark inside of me that just makes me giggle. Um, whatever. But you could... Theoretically, even ask it things like, hey, give me, a ser give me sermon ideas connecting discipleship and education. So I did that. 
Here are some of the, uh, the titles or examples that it gave. Remember, this is all machine-generated. The power of learning, growing in wisdom as disciples of Christ. Education for transformation, how discipleship shapes our minds and hearts. From knowledge to action, living out our faith through discipleship and education. The pursuit of excellence, cultivating a love for learning in our walk with Christ. Building bridges, and integrating faith and learning in the journey of discipleship. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, embodying a spirit of learning in our discipleship. It goes on. Notice how it's kind of quiet? Like there's a few people laughing, and then everyone else is going, Oh. The world changed a couple months ago. And it's weird. The father of um, really the modern computer science, his name is Alan Turing, uh, absolutely brilliant man, uh, he posed what has come to be called the Turing test. And it's a test of the adequacy of um, artificial intelligence. A little more complicated than that, but that's kind of the basics. And this test states that you have a, a judge, like somebody who is going to be the, uh, the test subject in a sense. And then separated from that person, a human being, <clears throat> you will have like maybe in like two different rooms or something like that, the artificial intelligence system to be tested and a human being. All communication will be done like over keyboard and, and monitor, so you don't have to like judge um, uh, language generation, like speech generation. And the judge will observe the communications and, and potentially even communicate with them. I, I, it's tricky, but uh, will we'll observe the communication between those two unknown entities. And the judge only knows that one artificial intelligence, or one of those entities is AI, the other is human. You are said to pass the Turing test if that AI system, uh, or if the judge cannot differentiate between the two. Because then it has completely uh, overtaken like, um, the ability to communicate. Uh, it's a little controversial, but to this date, nothing has passed that yet. But it seems like we're getting closer. What's interesting to me is not the technology of it. I mean, that's fascinating, don't get me wrong. But what's interesting to me for our question about raising our children as disciples of Jesus is that embedded in that test is that there is a human being trying to be and convince the judge that they are, in fact, human. In other words, all of the way the world is changing right now, I think, comes down to the big question, what does it mean to be human? What is a human being? How do we as human beings flourish? 
what does it mean to live and embrace all of our humanity? Well, if you, if you remember from our epistle reading, Paul the Apostle is writing to Timothy and saying, excuse me, essentially, look, from the time you were young, you've learned the Scriptures. Jesus, in saying, go and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching everything that I, uh, or teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, embedded in that is the command to teach and to uh, teach these kids to engage in the story that God is telling to raise disciples in this rapidly changing world is to teach them to, to, to be human in the best possible sense of the word. To teach them that they are part of a story that God is telling. They are part of a long history, the, the human history, that they are created in the image of God which means they are placed in creation to be its like overseers or ambassadors for the presence of God. And yet it doesn't take long to look around and realize that something has gone terribly wrong. And with the, 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 all the creative power that God has given us, our ability not just to think but to feel and to form relationships and bonds and, and to spread and build and, and create order out of disorder, which is a very human divine activity. It's, 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 a, it's a beautiful what we can come up with and yet at the same time, what it means to be human is to take those wonderful things and use them to kill each other. So much so that God, in all of his attempts to intervene, the very people he calls to be part of the pro uh, solutions, end up being part of the problems until God himself writes himself, his very presence, into our story by sending the very Jesus who says, go and make disciples. And then he becomes the pathway by which we become disciples, taking on that darkness and that brokenness and that evil to his death, and then changing the rules of the game when he walks out of that tomb three days later. And so we here at Christ Lutheran and all over the world, when we invest in our, our, our schools, in our Sunday schools, in all of our education opportunities, it is an invitation into this story, but for, especially for our, our kids who are going to be raised to answer questions that like my parents' generation never would have thought of. Things like, what does it mean to demonstrate that you're human? All of those resources go into saying you are part of this story. What it means to be human is a long story that starts within the beginning and carries its way through to this God-man Jesus who died and defeated death in that moment of the first Easter. That's why we do what we do. Because our world, as it changes, desperately needs people that can answer the question of what does it mean to be human 
as a truly human disciple of Jesus. Amen.